few years ago, Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar coined the song. You know, we got problems. I don't think we can solve them. You made a really deep cut, and now we got. Come on, where's the teenagers in the house? Bad blood, now we got bad blood. You ever had a disagreement with somebody that you kinda got some bad blood after that? Ever done that? Ever had that happen? That happens sometimes with disagreements now, and other times when you have disagreements, you try to compromise, right? Try to meet in the middle, try to try to make things right with one another. You try to, try to figure out if you can give a little and they can give a little. Other times when you disagree, what do you do? You say, well, looks like we're just gonna have to agree to disagree, right? <laughs> we're just gonna have to agree to disagree. Now, the best thing to do when you get in a disagreement online, on social media, is to begin typing in all caps. That's the best thing to do and really argue it out. It always works out well, it'll, it'll go well. I have learned in, uh, in marriage, it's really two important words when it comes to disagreeing. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am, right? Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But what will you do when you disagree with Jesus? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, pastor, pastor, I would never disagree with Jesus. Okay. Like, have you read everything that he said? Jesus had hundreds of disciples, um, maybe, maybe 200 something. I mean, scholars think somewhere between 100, 200. And today we're gonna read a passage in John chapter six uh, in which many, maybe all of those disciples had a disagreement with Jesus and it became for them a defining moment. Some of them, it was positive, and for many of them, it was negative. It's a, it's a teaching and a story about Jesus that you almost never hear sermons on. I've never preached a message on this scripture. Frankly, because it's hard. It's, it's a difficult passage uh, to talk about. It's one of those moments, though, that you knew. Like, we've, we've had some of these defining moments in this series. If you're new with us today, we're so glad you're joining us. And you know that some defining moments, you didn't know that they were defining until after the fact, and you look back. Not this one. Like, you knew this is a line in the sand. And you knew that this was going to change the course of history for every person involved in the story. And it's a story about a teaching that Jesus gives on, well, bread. Now, I know what you're thinking. How could a teaching on bread be controversial or how could it go wrong? I mean, were they fighting about whether they go white, wheat, pumpernickel, or rye? What was the teaching? How could this go wrong? Well, just wait. At this point in the story, two things have just happened at the beginning of John chapter six. And if you have your Bibles or you got your app open, you can, you can open it there and kind of leave it there. Uh, if you're here in person, we would love for you to, um, to take a, a hard copy Bible on the way out. If you're at home watching, thanks for welcoming us there. I'd uh, love for you to have your Bible out there, your phone if you're watching uh, on the TV or on your computer. So two things have just happened. Number one, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish given by a little boy. 
Uh, that was a part of our miracle series that we taught right before Easter. Ben Cathy taught on that, our executive pastor. So if you want to go back and kind of listen to a message on that. And then Jesus walks on water. He gets on the lake of the Sea of Galilee, and he walks on water. So they've had these kind of, John tells these two miracle stories back to back. And all the, many of the 5,000 people who had received it, they, they kind of run to the other side of the lake. They chase Jesus down to the other side of the lake because they, they want to hear more. They want to see more. They want to talk to him. They are grateful that he has fed them. In fact, John writes that some of them want to make him their king. And at, this is what, at the beginning of the story, this is what Jesus says to those whom he has just fed. So who knows how many are there and all his disciples are gathered around and this is what he says to them. You are looking for me because you ate the loaves, because you were there, I fed you, you were part of the 5,000 and had your fill. Do not work, not, would you just read that with me? Do not work. Try that one more time. Do not work. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, and would you read this with me, will give you. And listen to their response in the very next verse. Uh, this is what Jesus says first. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approver approval, the son of man that will give you this and listen to what they say in the very next verse. It's, this is hilarious what they say. You helped me read it so you know what it says. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What did the man just say? Do not work because he will do what? He will give it to you. Remember what he said? Let me rewind. If you, if you, let me just refresh your memory. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life to which the Son of Man will, let's all say it together, one, two, three, give you. You put it in the chat. He will give it to you. Oh, this was so out of bounds for them, so out of their thinking. Their, their thinking was just like, their thinking was that, no, I've got to, I've got to, Give it, right? I mean, I've got to work for it. I've got to work for it. I've got to attain it. I've got to earn it. There's something that I've got to do to get it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to give it to you. I've been given, did you remember what that said? The seal of approval. No matter what you do, it wouldn't be good enough anyway because only one has the seal of approval. You couldn't attain it. And isn't that the tension that we all still feel. This is what we think. It can't be that easy. I, it can't be that easy. It can't be so easy that, that the one who has God's approval would just give us eternal life, would just give us his mercy, would just give us his grace, would just give us his love, would just bestow upon us the approval that only he has. No, that's the tension we all feel, right? That we feel like we had to do something. You gotta earn it, you gotta work for it because you don't know, I, I'm not good enough. And that Jesus would say, well, of course you're not. That's the whole point. You're not good enough but I am, the approval has been given to me and I wanna give it to you. And then Jesus says, well, actually, actually, there is one thing that you have to do. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, 
to believe in the one he has sent. Turns out what Jesus says is that the work that you and I do is actually no work at all, right? Jesus says, you have one card to play, to believe, to believe. You've got one card to play. Would you believe in me, on me, through me? Would you believe? Now, they're like, um, believe. Okay, could you give us a sign? That's kind of, because I mean, walking on water and feeding 5,000 wasn't quite enough. Could you give us a sign? You know, like Moses did. Moses said that he was sent from God and, and our ancestors weren't real sure about that. So, um, you know, he prayed and God sent manna from heaven, bread from heaven to feed our ancestors when they were in the desert and they were starving. So that was a sign that our people should follow him. So if we're gonna believe that you have been sent from God, um, why won't you give us a sign? And then that will be enough for us to believe in you. And uh, this is where Jesus goes into a very long teaching about bread, in which he essentially says, yeah, Moses, great guy. Um, this is better. And guys, you don't need a sign. <laughs> you need me. And listen to what Jesus says here. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You think you want a sign and you think you want a king, but what you really need can only be found in me, can only be found if you hunger for me, if you thirst for me, and if you will do that, your deepest needs, your deepest desires will be found in relationship with me, and he finally, and then he goes on more a few verses later, and he says, "For I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven, like the bread came down from heaven with Moses. But I have come down from heaven, and I am this bread of life to do, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me." And then he says, "Here's what the Father's will is. My Father's will is that." Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. That's the will of my Father. That's what I came to do. And their response to that is basically, um, you, you, <laughs> Jesus from heaven? And John writes that, they begin to grumble because this sounds pretty ridiculous to them. It would sound pretty ridiculous to you and me too. I mean, they, they had thought that maybe they wanted him to be their king, but they didn't think he was the king of kings. In fact, listen to how all the people around him respond. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? He was calling himself the son of man. What's he talking about? That's Joseph's boy, whose father and mother we know. How can he say, I came down from heaven? What is this talking about? Isn't this guy Mary and Joseph's boy? He, he says, who's this father he's talking about? I went to high school with Joseph. I know that's his daddy. He's not from heaven. He's from Nazareth. 
You see, because when, if we can diminish Jesus, if we can lessen Jesus, if we can kind of put parameters around who Jesus is, then we don't have to take seriously everything that he says. You know, I mean, that's it. If Jesus is just a great teacher or prophet, then we can pick and choose. We can disagree with some things he says and agree with others, just like you disagree with teachers, some things some teachers say and agree with other things teachers say. I mean, if that's all he is, and if for you and me, I mean, in our world, if Jesus is just for Sunday, then we don't really have to take seriously what he says when we go live our lives on Monday. But if he's really the son of God, well, then I guess we have to take seriously everything that he says. What Jesus ramps up the bread talk. He over and over says that word, that term, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will have eternal life. He even says this once, I am the living bread and if you feast on me, if you eat this bread, you will live forever. And then it's about to get very uncomfortable because the next Jesus says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And they're all thinking, how can he give his flesh for the life of the world? And how can his flesh be the bread? And didn't he say we need to eat the bread? And if his flesh is the bread, then that means we need to eat. Ooh. What's he talking about? This sounds ridiculous to everyone. And then Jesus doubles down. Just when you think it's gotten awkward as it can get. Jesus doubles down with what is one of the weirdest and most difficult things he ever teaches. But once you understand what it means, it's not that it's weird, it's just that it's hard. And it becomes a defining moment for everyone that's listening. Listen to what it says. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, that's weird. Can we just say that? Like that's what you were thinking if you would be listening to that. You'd be like, that's, that sounds gross. What in the world is Jesus talking about drinking blood and eating flesh? Here's the interesting thing about this passage. Now prior to this section, right, this section that I just read in, in those verses, we had heard Jesus say about eating bread and you gotta eat this, whoever eats the bread of life. 
And in those sections at the beginning of John 6 in this story and almost everywhere in the New Testament, when you read the word eat, it is the word phago in Greek. 97 times in the New Testament, this is the word. When you read eat, most of the time, this is the word, the Greek word. It just means like we're gonna eat at the food trucks afterwards, right? How many of you are gonna eat? Eugene's hot chicken, amen, glory, hallelujah, or pizza, or yeah, that's good stuff. Um, but in this little section of John, John uses a different word. Jesus speaks of a different kind of eating. In fact, the word he uses is trogo. It's only used six times in the entire New Testament. Four of them are in this passage. Four of them are in this section. And it doesn't necessarily mean to eat like the we do, like we're actually eating something and digesting it. The word means to munch or to gnaw or to chew like an animal chews cud. It means that I'm always kind of eating on it, gnawing on something, tasting it. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is it's not that he's saying you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. Literally, he's saying, but what you need to understand is that you, if you really want eternal life, if you really want this life that is in me to flow in you, then you've got to learn to to munch on me, to feast on me, to have your hungers met by me, and then you will remain in me. And I love the way the old King James says it, if you remember reading that, that you will abide in me, you will rest in me, eternal life is found in me, hope is found in me, everything that you long for is found in me, you need to hunger for me. And Jesus says, I want to become a part of you. You want me to be a king, but I don't wanna rule over you you, I want to rule in you. Do you know how weird this was for every Jew listening? I mean, a Messiah? A Messiah was supposed to take what was rightfully his, not give his life for others. A Messiah was supposed to rule on the throne, and Jesus is not only saying that he is a different kind of Messiah, he is saying, Not just that he is not an earthly king, not just that he is not a political ruler or or social ruler. Jesus is saying that, yeah, that bread that you celebrate at the Passover every time of what God did through Moses and led your ancestors to the promised land and that bread that you remember that came down from heaven while Moses was leading your ancestors through the desert, all of that bread was pointing to me at this moment that he was the way to eternal life, that he was the gift given by the Father, that he was the way to God. Not the rules that they'd followed, the laws that they'd kept, or the work that they'd done. The law that God had given through Moses and everything that they had ever known had come into completion in Jesus. And they had to decide if they were going to believe in him, which might mean unbelieving everything they'd always believed. Do you get that? They had to make a decision at that moment. If, that, if they were going to believe in him, that might mean unbelieving everything they'd always believed. And this is what it says. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. And it was their defining moment because they found themselves disagreeing with Jesus. Now, you remember that question I asked you at the beginning? What will you do 
when you disagree with Jesus? What will you do when you disagree with Jesus? When you read something in the Bible and it disagrees with your thoughts and your ideas and your lifestyle, do you decide to ignore it or do you decide to trust it even if you don't get it, understand it, or like it? What will you do when you disagree with Jesus? When you read Matthew 24 and Jesus says to welcome the stranger and visit those in prison, and he says that this is the defining mark of those that he considers sheep and those that he considers goats, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus seems to say about immigration and those who are incarcerated? When you read Matthew chapter six and Jesus says when you speak in anger, it's just like murdering someone, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about your anger problem? In Matthew 6, when Jesus says that when you lust in your heart, it's the same as adultery, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about pornography and lust? When in Matthew 6, Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, and that where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about money? In Luke 4, when Jesus says that he, brought to, he came to bring justice to the poor and good news for the oppressed, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus seems to say about social justice and the poor? In Mark 8, when Jesus says that you are to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about your own hopes, desires, and dreams? In Luke 12, when Jesus says to repent or perish, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about truly repenting of your sins? In Luke 15, when Jesus says we're to leave the 99 to go reach the one, what will you disagree, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about the links we should go to to reach one person, even if that means you don't like the methods, you don't like the music, and you don't like the graphics? In Mark 10, when Jesus says greatness looks like service and that he did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about serving? Will you walk by the sign-up table for VBS for volunteers one more time? In Matthew 19, when Jesus says that God created humans, male and female, and that marriage is between one man and one woman, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus seems to say about gender and sexuality? When he says those are not married who should live as eunuchs, that is celibate for the glory of the kingdom of God, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about celibacy in marriage? In Matthew 18, when Jesus says to forgive 70 times seven, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about forgiving that person that really hurt you? In John 14, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, and the example he uses is loving a neighbor looks like loving a Samaritan or a Samaritan loving a Jew, and the Samaritans were the most hated racial group in all of Jerusalem. So when Jesus says you are to love your neighbor, you are to love across racial lines. So what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus says about racial equality and loving people that you were raised to hate? When you read John 18 and Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world, what will you do when you disagree with what Jesus seems to say about politics, that they are not even on the same planet as his kingdom and his purposes? Brothers and sisters, what will you do when you disagree with Jesus? Will you just turn and run? Because I wanna tell you something. The point where you disagree with Jesus is the point where your discipleship begins. The point where you say, I don't, I don't like that. That's not what I was taught. 
But maybe believing in Jesus will mean unbelieving some of the things you've always believed. What will you do? It will cut across political, regional, racial, cultural, personal lines because it will cut our hearts. And listen to what happened in this story. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Did something I just said when I quoted what Jesus said in scripture, did some of it offend you? It's easy to believe when it's easy to believe. but will we believe when it's hard? And here's what happens. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And we don't know their names. We have no idea who they are because they are forgotten in the history of Christianity. Friend, let me tell you something. Don't let a disagreement with Jesus disqualify you from discipleship. The point where it hurts is the point where we need to start listening. If you read this book long enough, you will find things in it that disagree with your heart, with your lifestyle, with how you were raised, with what your culture believes. There's not a single one of us that are gonna align perfectly. You will find things, every single one of us, if we read this book long enough, we'll come to the point where we say this, This is a hard teaching. And what are we going to do at that point? At that point, we have to choose if we're going to be an apprentice of Jesus, an apprentice of the master, or do things our day, our way, when Jesus disagrees with our culture, our background, our upbringing, our attitudes about people from different races, countries, our ideas about sex or sexuality or politics. Are we gonna say, I wanna abide in Jesus. I wanna feast on Jesus. I wanna hunger for Jesus, even if it means I have have to think differently about things I have always thought because I want Jesus to rule in me. Because like we sing, I put my hope in Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. He is the firm foundation, even if it shakes every other foundation that my life was built on. And one of my favorite things about this story, because I told you it was a defining moment bad for some and it was a defining moment good for others. I love this. I just kind of picture Jesus just kind of turning his head, watching those leave, and turning his head to the others. And it says this. He looks at him, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked. I picture there's a few in the back that are like, "Uh, uh, maybe-ish. Simon Peter's answer floors me. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And we're not sure we agree with you. We're not sure we even understand what you just said, Jesus. It was weird. But we've decided that you're the one. And we've decided this, Jesus. We're gonna choose following Jesus over everything else. 
We're gonna choose following Jesus over everything else. We're gonna choose following Jesus over the way what we've always thought, the way we've been taught to believe, the way what we've always been thought to true. And even if you say something that we're not sure of or don't understand or disagree with, then all of a sudden we've decided that it becomes the word of God because you are the son of God. You are the holy one who is, give, who is going to give his life for the, for the life of the world. We're in. And there's some of us maybe in this room that this is a struggle for, and I get it, every single one of us. Are we gonna choose following Jesus over everything else? Are you gonna choose following Jesus over maybe some decisions you're making about sexuality right now and relationships, and maybe you're crossing some boundaries, and it's hard. Maybe you haven't decided to tithe and give 10% of your income because it's hard and you're asking yourself, am I gonna choose following Jesus over everything else? Maybe there's some reconciled relationships that need to happen and you haven't done it yet because it's hard. And I wanna ask you, could you choose following Jesus over everything else? Because it could be the point where you disagree with Jesus, the point where it gets hard might just be your defining moment. And those that left were never to be heard from again. But those that stayed, we don't even call them disciples anymore. We call them apostles. And history hasn't just remembered their names. We call them Saint Simon, Saint Andrew, Saint John, Saint James, Saint Peter, Saint Matthew, Saint Nathaniel and Saint Thomas, and we name schools and hospitals and islands and golf courses and cathedrals and churches after them, and 2,000 years later, we still name our sons after them. Because in the heat of the moment, they decided we're gonna follow Jesus over everything else. When a group of guys decided to do this, when it got hard, they changed the world. And I'm crazy enough to believe if you and I would choose to do this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could change it again. I'm crazy enough to believe that God still wants people who will hunger for him, who will abide in him, who will remain in him, who will feast on him, who will say, I'm in. I'm following you over everything else. And the reason for that is this. Not because it's easy, but because of the gift that he has given us.